Welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. If you're new, I'm Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama. We are a part of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. No matter who you are, no matter how you choose to worship, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of our faith family. And if you are not a follower of Christ, you too are very welcome. Feel free to call in with any comments or questions. And you can also email me at laurahutchinson at bellsouth.net with any questions or comments as well. Today's sermon is the final segment of a three-part series called What is Truth in the Bible? We're exploring different stories that probably didn't happen, but are profoundly true nonetheless. So let me begin with a prayer, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Make 
Scripture comes from the book of Jonah. We're going to be reading uh, chapters 1 and chapters 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Noah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. After the fish spit Jonah back out onto the shore, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. 
Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. This is the last of a three-part sermon series called What is Truth in the Bible? We've focused on stories in the Bible that probably did not happen in history, but that carry an abundance of divine truths that teach us about our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, and our relationship with the world as children of God. 
We have learned all about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the blazing furnace of fire. And now we are going to learn God's truths from the story most often called Jonah and the Whale, even though a whale is never actually mentioned in the story. And so, the sermon today begins with a question. Who do you regard as the greatest sinners in our world? Don't say it out loud. I just want you to think about it for a minute. What is, in your opinion, the most sinful nation or the most sinful organization? Who are the people who have committed the greatest atrocities? The people who have done so much evil against other people that you would actually feel a bit of pleasure if they were punished horribly for their crimes? Who, in your opinion, deserves to suffer for what they have done to other people? Some of you may have thought about an individual person, but others of you may have thought of Nazi Germany right at the end of World War II. Maybe the modern-day Taliban. Maybe the human trafficking networks. Some of you might even be thinking of a specific political party or a group within our own country. Or maybe you're thinking about Auburn or Alabama. Just kidding. In other parts of the world, and because this question is all about perspective here, the U.S. might even be on someone's list. After about two hours on the phone with PayPal yesterday trying to convince them that my phone number is, in fact, a valid number, which I felt should have been obvious since I was speaking to them on my phone with that number, I might have included PayPal to my list. But I'm getting over it. Well, whatever group or nation or person who seems so evil to you that you crave vengeance against them, that's what Nineveh was to Jonah in our story today. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which had successfully invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and had scattered the Hebrew people out of their homeland. If you remember the last sermon in this series, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also living in exile, but because of the Babylonian Empire. This is the Assyrian Empire. And these folks were known for their terrorist acts towards the Jews, and they were both feared and hated by the Hebrew people. So the fact is, anyone who has ever experienced severe, unadulterated injustice in any form can relate to how the Jewish people felt about the Ninevites. Our story begins today with these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Well, what we have here is a Jewish prophet who has been instructed by God to go to the capital of his greatest enemy and warn them of God's impending punishment. On the one hand, this might sound appealing to someone with revenge in his heart, but as a prophet, Jonah knows that if Nineveh is made aware of the coming punishment, the city just might repent and then be forgiven, which is completely unthinkable to him. The last thing Jonah or any Jew at that time wanted to do was to see was the last thing they wanted to see is the people of Nineveh be forgiven for their crimes against God's people and avoid punishment of any kind. 
It would be like asking a Jewish prophet to go into Berlin in 1942 and declare God's coming judgment unless they change their ways. A, not only could that be dangerous for the prophet, but B, what if Hitler and his followers actually did repent and experience complete forgiveness from God for the ghettos, the concentration camps, the gruesome experiences, the torture, the gas chambers, the invasions of peaceful nations, and on and on. And so here, what if Nineveh was forgiven as well? So Jonah does what any self-respecting person would do. He jumps on a boat and sails in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. The thing is, Jonah knew the heart of Yahweh and knew that grace dwelled there. He knew that God was a loving and a forgiving God, and that if those loathsome Assyrians of Nineveh did their penance and changed their ways, there would be no more consequences for them. So it's not surprising that Jonah was like that, because human beings have struggled with the concept of grace forever, haven't we? I mean, we like grace when it's bestowed upon us, But it is a really hard pill to swallow when grace is given to people that we can't stand. Or worse, when it's given to people who can't stand us. And yet, grace is a concept that is taught throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Yet people like to focus on the vengeful God of the Old Testament. Both believers and non-believers love to focus on the mean God. But the fact is, we see God's grace there in the Old Testament just as much as we see it in Jesus himself. And what is grace again? Well, it's the act of forgiving someone when they don't actually deserve it. It's the act of rescinding a punishment for someone who didn't earn the reprieve. It is love turned into a verb, pure love in action. And grace is a defining characteristic of our creator. So knowing what kind of God he was dealing with, Jonah jumped on the first boat out of town and did his ever-loving best to hide from God. And how do you think he did with that? Not so well, right? Yeah, God sent a storm that tossed that boat all over the Mediterranean Sea, and those sailors, probably hailing from all over the world, did everything they could to save the boat and themselves. First, they prayed to their gods. Then they worked like crazy, side by side, to keep that ship afloat. But Noah? Well, he hid down below, hoping that no one would notice him, least of all God. But we cannot hide from God, can we? As the psalmist said in 139, Where shall I go from thy spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, thou art there. Okay, so let's fast forward through the story a little bit, shall we? The sailors are finally convinced to toss Jonah overboard, which they did not want to do at first. And God sent a fish to swallow him up. And during the three days that Jonah sat in the belly of that fish, which is kind of like a divine timeout, right? Like you go to your room for three days and think about what you have done, right? So, so during those three days, Jonah finally came around and sang praises to God once more. And Jonah said, 
But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. With that, God commanded the fish, and it spat Jonah out onto the shore. And after all that drama, after all that running, after all of that hiding and trying to get out of doing what God wanted him to do, Jonah finds himself sitting on a beach of the Mediterranean Sea and listening to God say once again, Get up, go to Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. He is exactly where he started before he ran. So finally, Jonah does. He wasn't happy about it, but he did it. Kim Henson is a woman who knows exactly how Jonah felt. She says, This is personal for me because I have a father that I have abhorred for most of my 54 years of life. Now, my greatest struggle is to show him respect and assist in his frailty of life at 90 years old. All of my siblings have distanced themselves from him. He is vicious and prides himself on this. As my youth has passed, I have grown apathetic to him ever being saved. And worse, it has grown to a repulsed attitude towards him. Yet God has called me to minister to him. God has extended his life so that I can bring the message of God to him. I understand why Jonah ran. I understand now better than ever. Jonah felt Nineveh deserved judgment. The people were proud and vicious, and Nineveh was a ruthless nation. But God said that they were morally and spiritually blinded. They were people who did not know the difference between their right and left hand. Well, since God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, she says, and abundant in loving kindness, should God destroy them or show mercy on whom he desires? Our job is to remove ourselves from judgment and just deliver the message and hope that they will believe and change morally. Our job is to go and not run, no matter how much we fear, hate, or are repulsed by them. The greater the struggle, the greater the harvest. Well, Jonah did everything he could to escape doing the will of God and found in the end that it was an impossible task. And like Kim, we can learn from that. Also like Kim, we can learn from Jonah's story that it is impossible to run from God's love as well. No matter what we do, God will continue to love us. And also God will continue to love them, whoever they are. And Jonah is not the only one who shares this lesson with us in the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 38 through 39, that no power, no place, no time can separate God's people from the love shown them in Christ. And then Jesus told a story about a young man who could not wait to escape from the confining atmosphere of life at home. After he left, when he, his life had become a shambles, he came to himself and remembered his loving father. And when he finally arrived home, he discovered that he had never escaped his father's love. So it is, said Jesus, with the inescapable love of God. Even though ancient exiled Jews were the target audience for our story today, it still has teeth in 2021. 
And that's because it's a story about insiders versus outsiders, which makes it especially relevant to the universal church. Ever since Christ ascended into heaven, disciples have argued about who is in and who is out. Today, we see Christians deciding who is too sinful to be in their churches and going to hateful extremes to make sure that the outsiders stay outside. Our own president and speaker of the house are experiencing such an exclusion as their church has publicly announced that they are banned from the communion table. The church has judged their sin and found them wanting. But what would God say to the church in such a situation? What would God of the Jonah story say to the church? Many of you have either experienced firsthand what it feels like to be declared an outsider by the church, or you have seen it happen to someone you care about. Either you are a female called to ministry and unable to minister, or you are LGBTQ, or you don't behave normally, or you're a Democrat or you're Republican, although the latter seems to happen less frequently than the previous, it does happen. Or you're from the wrong part of the world, or you speak the wrong language, or you worship in the wrong way, or you have tattoos. We have a Disciples of Christ pastor in our region who has been excluded and talked down to by other Christians, not necessarily disciples, but Christians, because he happens to look like he's Middle Eastern, even though he's not. In the church, we do it all the time. And we often blame fundamentalist conservatives for being the greatest offenders of outsider mentality. But it happens in the liberal churches as well. In her book, Pastrix, Nadia Boltz-Weber talks about her church, House for All Sinners and Saints, which is a congregation made up of mostly addicts, recovering addicts, members of the LGBTQ community, and other people who are often considered outsiders in society and the church. In her book, she talks about how awkward it was for her congregation when people from around the country began to be attracted to the ministry that they were doing. It was awkward because they began to get visitors who didn't look or act like them middle-class white soccer moms without tattoos and other quote-unquote normal types were coming to worship with them and the church wanted nothing of it. And Nadia found herself giving the same speech to her church of misfits as I have given to conservative churches in the past. God loves everyone and we are called to love and welcome everyone. And while the book of Jonah has many morals and teaches many truths, this is the one that speaks the loudest to me. God loves everyone, and God calls us to share the message with every person God puts in our path. At a time when our country is more divided than it's ever been, God calls us, like Jonah, to reach out to the outsiders and offer them the good news to tell them God's message in Jesus the Christ and to give them the opportunity to repent and accept God's grace. No matter what they may have said or done, no matter what group they happen to be a part of, 
No matter what they look like or sound like or smell like, no matter how they worship, no matter who they vote for, no matter if they wear a mask or not, no matter what flag they fly in their yard, we are called to tell them about God's love and forgiveness. They may not accept it. They may not do and repent what God tell, do what God tells them to do and repent of their sins, but we have to tell them. We are called to trust our Lord and Savior and to go where God tells us to go and say what God tells us to say, no matter what. Amen?
Got it.